All right. Welcome back to Joe on Joe. It's me, your host, Joe Slepsky, and we are back in Los Angeles for uh, an exciting episode. It's the second episode of the DIC. So technically, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's season four of DIC. Now, as we talked last week, I like these DICs a little bit better. I feel like the quality came up. And once again, we are going through them not in disc order, in case you guys have the discs at home, but we're watching them in actual air date order, which is different. Usually we just follow the disc order on the show to make it easy on everybody. But the um, the way they made these discs, quite frankly, was um, completely with no rhyme or reason as to when they aired. So we're following the the wonderful Now You Know book by Lars Pearson and the disc order they'd put in there. And here we are with episode two called The Channel, and I am... So very pleased to welcome a new friend of mine. He's a very talented creator. He's he's led a fascinating life. He's come from all around the world. He's living in Los Angeles now. He's about to head to Canada of all places, but he's originally hails from New Zealand. And I don't know about how many New Zealand Joe fans we got out there. We got I know we have some in South Africa. I know we've got fans in Europe. If maybe hopefully this will branch us out to New Zealand because my guest is the creator and super talented writer, artist of Blastosaurus, Richard Fairgray. Richard, welcome to Joe on Joe. Hi, good to be here. It is absolutely my pleasure to have you on, my friend. And good, to be, good to be here. It's I love having you. So Blastosaurus, let's talk about that. Blastosaurus is a kid's kids comic it's, I, i'm like, gonna say it's all ages it like, is all ages it's, it's for, not just for kids I, yeah. I i write it for the kid that i used to be that's how i think about it like and, like the 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 weird the weird kid who wants to read a book about incredibly smart children who are best friends and hang out with a dinosaur thank you that's a great way to phrase it yeah which you should have a great way to phrase your own book because you create it but they are very smart that your two leads are absolutely capable kids and then your dinosaur he's pretty surly <laughs> Like he's well, he's got an edge to him, which I appreciate. You know, like it, it it adds something to it. It's one of those things that we we actually we go back and forth on it a lot because the the natural inclination when you're writing a dinosaur is to write him as like an old man and have him be kind of a grump. But I find that really dull. Yeah. And so while he has that kind of uh, serious grandfatherly quality, he also is as excited about having an adventure as the kids are. Mm -hmm. So he still got like, it's, it's just kind of, we have to kind of keep reminding ourselves never have Blastosaurus be unhappy. That fun is about to happen. It's I love that. So, so let's, let's, let's roll back a little bit and start at the beginning. So you're from New Zealand. Yes. What part? Um, I was born and raised in a city called Auckland, which is studied all over the world in uh in in colleges when they're when as an example of poor town planning oh why why is that um it is it was seven separate cities that were all kind of near each other that then became one city and it's i think what happened was every time a town planner died they would fire an arrow into the air and wherever it landed (laughs) they would put in an off-ramp and a new settlement would 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 develop (laughs) And when did you get the bug to create your own comics and start writing and doing that stuff? What was well, the genesis of that? Well, I, I started, uh, I learned learned to uh, uh, read and write when I was like three or four. And I'm not going to say I did it well, but <laughs> I started then. And I started making, uh, I, I would get, you know, pieces of paper, fold them, tape them together. And then I would uh, make I'd make books based on the length that I had allowed myself with the you know pre-made thing. So a lot of my books ended very suddenly, had complete third act collapse. Um, and <laughs> it, 
yeah, I mean, you're, I made, you're, 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 you're critiquing your. Well, I made a <laughs> book. I made a book that was my own version of the Three Little Pigs, which was the same as the regular version, but with more farts. And then always, then it's better. It's it's a sixteen page book, and the last five pages are just the third pig building his house, and it just ends with him sitting happily on top of his roof, being like, "I built a house." The wolf never shows up. There's no in your version. Yeah, just because there were, there were no pages left. There were no pages. <laughs> Who? Well, where were the farts? Did the farts the farts didn't knock any of the houses down? Then? No, it was actually just that like. It, it's it starts with uh it says once there were three little pigs who didn't like their mother so they went away from her and her farts <laughs> that, that's that was that was their their uh their call to adventure do you st- do you still have a copy of this i actually do it's i have like three of my earliest things the one thing i really regret losing at some point was uh the first book i ever got in trouble for which was it's called uh, Donald Duck in the Haunted House, but I spelled house H O U R R S for some reason. Oh Jesus! <laughs> um, but it's it's about Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse are meant to go and explore a haunted house together uh-huh. because they both want to meet a ghost, but Mickey doesn't turn up. So Donald goes in by himself and he meets a ghost in the attic, and uh, the ghost says, "I'm so glad you here. You're here. I've been so lonely. I'm the only ghost here." And Donald says, uh, you know, I'm lonely too. My friend didn't show up. I have no friends. And then Donald takes out a gun and shoots himself in the face so that he can become a ghost Ah! and stay here with his new friend. (laughs) And how old were you when you did this? I was four. Four. (laughs) And and, and what did the authorities have to say about that? Well, uh... I was in kindergarten at that point. We start a little earlier in New Zealand. Okay. And, uh, yeah, the teachers called my parents in, and they had to have, like, a very serious talk about what might be wrong with me. <laughs> and what was their verdict? <laughs> well, what was interesting is uh, my parents got called in, and they thought that it was about that book because my mother had seen the book. She knew that, like, this was going to raise some some questions. Yeah. And they get in there, and I'm called in, and it's a very serious meeting, and it turns out they're not bothered by this book at all. They're far more bothered by the pictures I've been drawing of Postman Pat kissing Reverend Tim's. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you were, uh, you were a, a square peg in a round hole from let's, the start. Let's just say my art was not appreciated. Yeah, yeah, you're un- unappreciated in your time. So, <laughs> what age did you do Blasto? Like, when did that first start? When did when did it become a thing? Because Blasto was the top selling. Is I don't know what the current sales rate, but well, it was like the top selling comic in New Zealand for was, a time, well, right? So when when um when I started making comics, I started making comics when I was seven, and mm-hmm. then just kind of kept making and publishing them my whole life. And I went to art school and I did a whole lot of like very serious, introspective graphic novels that, you know, were trying very hard to be taken seriously. Yeah. And the whole time, all I really wanted to do was something about a dinosaur or something about a big monster because I like really fun comics, you know. Uh, Then when I was 22, uh, I was I had a big night out the night before and um, (laughs) and I was sleeping very late. And I used to have, uh, I still have a, a, a stuffed dinosaur that I sleep with. Um, and that's, that's to rescue anyone else who I share a bed with. Because I'm, a, I'm not a violent sleeper, but I am a grab-on-and-choke sleeper. Like, Got I it. will crush whatever is near me. So I have a dinosaur to do that to. 
and my friend came in wanting to go out for breakfast and she pulled my covers off and I was there and I was clutching my dinosaur and a little toy ray gun and she said wow Richard you're like the envy of every eight-year-old in the world hanging out here <laughs> in your fort where there are no girls allowed um do you call it fort dinosaur gun and I said no obviously I would call it fort gunosaurus and then I started following her around with the gun and the dinosaur going gunosaurus he's gonna getcha he came from prehistoric time to fight prehistoric crime and uh then I turn that into a poster that was a fake ad in one of my uh, other books. And then I kept thinking about it because he was like such a fun looking character. Mm -hmm. It's like Triceratops with no frill. Cause I think the frill on Triceratops is ugly. So he's just like a round head. He was actually based on the, the guy I was seeing at the time who had a perfectly round head. <laughs> um, so I, I, I designed, by the way, hot tip, do not, design the character that you'll be drawing for the rest of your life on someone who you're probably going to break up with pretty soon. <laughs> Noted. Like, it's just a bad idea. So uh, I drew this poster, and I just kept thinking about him and kept wanting to, like, find a fun story there. And then we changed it to uh, changed it to Blastosaurus, and I made this little seven-page preview comic where it's just him stopping a bank robbery. And I didn't really think anything of it. I was never going to publish it. There's no... Like, so New Zealand only has, like, four comic book stores, and I think back then it only had three, and that's in the entire country. So wow. there's not, like, there's not a lot of avenues for selling books outside of conventions. Yeah. And I'd been doing these conventions at that point for maybe eight years, and I was bringing in enough money to kind of, like, keep things going while, while I was in college. But my plan was finish college, stop making comics, and get a serious adult job so that I could be miserable like all the other people around me. <laughs> and uh, I thought I'll spend all my, I'll spend my life savings making a film. Um, it will be a terrible film about comic books, but I will love it. And then once I've done that, I'll have burnt through all my creativity and I'll become a high school teacher. And uh, I then, so I trained to be a teacher, made this film, spent four months editing this thing and then uh, I discovered that the person filming, you know, operating the camera had been switching back and forth randomly, it seemed, between standard and high definition. Oh boy. And uh, uh -oh. I was like a third of the way through the footage and, and then suddenly a whole lot of it was just unusable and I'd spent every penny I had. Oh no. And I was like feeling very down. Uh, feeling like very down about everything and obviously very depressed. Everything is falling apart. I've got no way of salvaging this thing. And then I'd been in this uh, relationship with this guy online, and he then says, and I did. He didn't. I didn't know he even knew that I made comics. And it turned out he had tracked down some of my books, shown them to some people he worked with, and he called me to say, hey, I want you to uh, come to Australia and live with me. And uh, I think I can get your books in front of the right people because I'm here working on the Wolverine movie and I can show your books, some of your comics to people and see if we can get something happening with them. And I was like, I got nothing else going on, sure. Um, and so I kind of flew to Australia a week later. And... Uh, in that week, I thought, I'm just going to see what happens with, with Blastosaurus. And so I made another preview comic and took it with me. On my first day there, went out for lunch with this executive from Fox who was planning on leaving Fox to start his own company. Mm -hmm. And 
during the lunch meeting, he optioned uh, Blasto and two of my other comics. Whoa! Uh, for basically no money, but he had a lot of really good people who were going to be with him in this new company he was mm-hmm. starting up. And it seemed, you know, I was I was 22 years old. Sure, of course. Yeah. It seemed amazing and everything else, you know, you, you, you know, from movies, you hit rock bottom, something goes horribly wrong, the next thing has to be magical. Mm-hmm. So I was like, sure, this is happening. And then for the next two years, he held the option on Blastosaurus and did nothing with it. Mm. And, ex- oh, except make a lot of announcements to the New Zealand media that Blastosaurus was happening. Right. So uh, I was not allowed. Part of the deal was I wasn't allowed to release any other comics uh, until Blastosaurus came out because they'd be seen as competing with with the market and all this stuff. And so I had to spend two years uh, teaching part-time while also making Blastosaurus full-time for its eventual release. Mm. Um, It never got released. They printed it with uh, missing pages, missing panels, some color, some not. There was just huge screw-ups. And so I then had to kind of go through a big legal thing to get all of the rights back. Mm -hmm. And then I launched it in New Zealand when I was 25 or 26. Okay. And uh, it very it became, it was the first, uh, it was New Zealand's first ever monthly comic. And uh, then it became uh, yearly, we would do one collected volume rather than release it monthly because it just made more financial sense to release it through conventions. Sure. And... It's just started selling like crazy. Like, I mean, I had a big presence. I had a fan base there who knew my previous work, but it had been a couple of years since I'd put anything out. So I didn't really know if there was going to be any, like, anyone really remembering me. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it went crazy. And I was able to quit everything else and just do Blastosaurus. That's fat. That's amazing. And I mean, I was, I was doing between like six and 10 conventions a year. And then all in New Zealand, uh, New Zealand and Australia, okay. and occasionally I would go to England. Um, but I know they're close by. Is it is it an easy jaunt to go from New Zealand to Australia? Is that like yeah, crossing like a, the bridge? Like a three hour flight. Is it a three hour flight? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So I would I would uh, I was really close friends with I am really close friends with the guy who runs all of the big conventions in New Zealand, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I would go to Australia. And do conventions there, depending on whether or not he was in a fight with the Australian convention <laughs> organizers. <laughs> so it became because it became like a thing where they were like, "Oh, you're friends with him. We're gonna mess with you." So I would like book a book a booth at this show in Australia, and I'd show up with all of my stock ready to sell. And I'd show up there on setup day, and they'd be like, "No, we don't have a booth for you. Oh, we have no record of you ever paying for a booth." So I'd get like no refund, and so you know, I was just out a lot of money and inconvenience. So yeah, yeah, I had yeah. to be really careful about where I went and I had to kind of check, hey, are you friends with these people right now? Or have right. you, you um, know. Is it cool? Is it cool to sell my book based yeah. on what you, it was the kind, kind of, of people you're getting along with? Yeah. So what years What years would this have been then, then that you were blowing up in New Zealand? Um, it was 2012, Yeah, I think was when we launched the first big collected volume. And we did... We did like a little test run where we did a, a hardcover of the first story, mm-hmm. and uh, I like doing fancy versions of, versions of things, so it had like a lot of extra content and fun backup things. And we did uh, a thousand of those, and then five thousand of a paperback edition that was just an eighty page standard trade paperback. Mm-hmm. And 
the hardcover we sold out of the first uh, the first batch uh, within the first two conventions we did, and we got uh, distribution through all of the bookstores for the for the paperback. Wow! And then we got huge reorders. We did and you know so it, like it just kind of kept moving very fast from there, and then we had this like one crucial moment where everything got terrible because there's only one major bookstore chain in New Zealand and they got bought out by this company who owned a number of jewelry stores and furniture stores and they have this model where they cut out all local distribution and they buy direct from manufacturers so they can sell the same product for a quarter of the price right and they realized they wanted to do this with the bookstores, and they realized that 90% of the books they were selling didn't have an original manufacturer outside of New Zealand. They were actually buying them from publishers already, so there was no way to increase the profit margin on books. So they reduced their book footprint in the stores from, uh, I think, 70% down to 15%. Oh, my gosh. And made all of the bookstores about board games, toys, and greeting cards. Ugh. And Yuck. in that, we lost any presence for comics yeah, yeah um and so we went i think when we went from being in i think 94 stores nationwide and again very small countries so that's mm-hmm. quite a lot to four Oof. and they were the only four that sold comics wow so it was like that was really tough and then we were really lucky that uh by that point the sales at conventions had taken off enough that we could just refocus all of our efforts to there. So we pulled out of all the distribution ch- uh, models and just went straight to conventions with everything. And, and then we just release a new book at each convention. And you write and draw it. Yes. Do you ink it as well? Yes. You fully do you do colors? Yes. You you, you do everything. So do I you do lettering? Yes. Whoa. So I co-write the book with uh, my friend Paul Eiding. Mm-hmm. Um, or I, I co-write this version, the American version, um, with Paul Eiding, who's an amazing uh, voice actor and hilarious man and very good co-writer to have. Um, and we've been working together for about a year on this. And uh, then I, I draw it, I pencil, ink, color, letter, format for print. Every single part of it is, is kind of me. That's, that's, I love that. That's, um, that's the, that's the image founders attitude, you know, of saying like, this is my thing. I want to do it. I want to get it done. Well, I think the important thing is you have to know how to do everything. Yeah. Because, like, at the end of the day, if, you know, even if someone else were to take over some big part of it for me, if someone else wanted to do the coloring or the whatever, and the book is at a point where we can justify bringing someone else on board, it's nice to know that if they send it back to me and I'm not happy with something, I know how to fix it myself, mm-hmm. rather than that kind of back and forth thing of, like... I agree 100%, especially not just with, like, creating comics, but with almost any job you have. Mm. When your boss or when the guy in charge and the guy making the decisions actually understands the processes and all the tendrils that go into it, they don't have to do it on a day-to-day. But when they get it, when they understand it, it is such a more rewarding experience because then you can have shorthand conversations and they get what you're talking about like right now. Yeah. Um, That's one of the – I believe that's from – bringing it back to G.I. Joe, I believe that was Duke's file card. That he led from the front, like he led from experience, because the soldiers, the soldiers in the trenches knew what he was up to. Which brings us to, you mentioned the American version. So now you come to America, and you're here. You came about last year, about a year yeah. ago now. Yeah. And you're now doing Blasto through 
Golden Apple Books, yeah, which is the book book arm of Golden Apple Comics out here in California, yeah. And um, issue one just dropped, and I'm I'm excited to say that I enjoyed the heck out of it. That's good. really liked it. Um, I was very impressed with all aspects of it: writing, drawing, penciling, inking, lettering. So I was going to say congratulate to your team. To be fair, but I guess if, it's if just I, you. If I've done my Paul. job well as as an inker, you won't see the penciling. Ah, yeah, nice. Or, or as a as an eraser. Then. No, I don't. Use one. <laughs> what do you? How, how do? What do you? Do oh, you I do just blue line or yeah, blue line. You and do blue then, line. Yeah, yeah. I did. Um, I did some uh comic strip stuff in college. Okay. And for for a bit, and I I did primarily blue line. It was so it was so fast. If you were doing the inking, mm. it's such a time save. And it just, I think what's nice about the blue is it makes the finished piece of art look uh like more special as an object. Yes. You know, people always talk about they want to, you know, they want to prove that comics are art. And I actually disagree. I kind of hate it when we work in an industry that is like we're low culture. Comics are low culture and we should actually embrace that and enjoy it yeah. because like we're disposable. We're if we, you know, it's 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 an ephemeral thing. You you buy a comic, you read it, you forget about it. This idea that people have of let's put our pages in a gallery show because they're the equivalent of the Mona Lisa is, is nonsense because the Mona Lisa would actually not be a very special thing if there were 25 of them produced every month. True. You know, there's no like, I, I hate when you see people who are, who are like, I'm going to frame a page of comic art. Like if you really like the picture, sure. As I look over your shoulder down my hallway, I've got like five framed pages of Simonson. <laughs> yes, but you, but you wouldn't. But you wouldn't say that it was high art. You you've done it because you like those pictures. Yeah, I, I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the artist itself. I do think that the, I think there's room in that conversation though for certain. Th- there are some pages that you see the artist has gone above and beyond. Absolutely. Um, people, I'm just saying, don't put it in a gallery. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I don't know. I don't know. I can't say that I agree with you entirely on this, Richard. Okay, let's fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's totally fight. I think that there are. Uh, I think there's some artists in some pages. It's it, here's what's weird though is when it's if you're looking to frame it solo, if the jo- if the if the artwork is doing the job that it's designed to do, there's a preamble and a post postscript to mm-hmm. what that image you're looking at. That if you if you frame and put it on a wall that you're not seeing, yeah. And so that's always going to be something missing from that piece of art. Mm-hmm. And if it's if it is too much of a singular vision mm-hmm. then it's not really doing the job in the comic book itself yeah so i of that i will agree with you that 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 is that hanging it on its own the appreciation is is more about the it in 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 larger mm. context does that make sense yeah i mean i think like i'm not saying that comics are not an art form of course but i'm saying yeah. that an artwork is not a page of a comic a completed comic book is an artwork okay because, because it's part of a whole. Yeah. A page of a comic is a corner of the Mona Lisa. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Although, actually, apparently the Mona Lisa was originally uh, significantly larger than it is. But while he was painting it, they built a new door on the room that he was painting it in. Mm-hmm. And they had to cut it down to fit it out the door. Is How big is the I've never seen it in person. How big is the Mona Lisa? Uh, I think it's, it's quite small. But I think it was about... I think what what is and I I could be wrong on this. This could be like one of those apocryphal tales. Yeah, like, yeah. you know the whole cutting off the ear thing. Um, but I what I what I've heard is that what we see now is the middle ninth of the original. Really? Apparently, she was sitting under a big arch, and it was all really. Yeah. Well, I'm always um, it always freaks me out when 
like I was reading a, I was reading an article about a, some art theft recently. Like mm-hmm. they, they think they discovered some fabulous art that some people had stolen 20 years ago and blah, blah, blah. And they talked about how they stole it and they just like took a razor, cut it out, of, literally cut it out of the frame. And just the shrinking of that. And I know that not even just in theft, but just in general, like yeah. there, there are like if they drew it three feet wide over the years as it's changed frames, it's gotten smaller and smaller because of very, oh. you know what I mean? Like various people have stolen, rolled it up, yeah. you know, like over the hundreds of years that they've literally gotten smaller because they've been reframed mm. or re this or rehung or re that. And that always blows my mind as someone who's like, I, I've got this weird sense of this is the edge of the panel. It needs to stop there. I need to see that visible at all times. If you cut off the edge, I don't like it. You know, there's a, there's a building across the road from my office on sunset and they used to have a billboard on the roof and it fell down and they were told they weren't allowed to put it back up because you're not actually allowed to build new billboards on Sunset Boulevard ah, anymore. So since it fell, they're out. Yeah. So, But they were renting that, that billboard out for like 12000 a month. Yeah. So they realized that as long as their building was under construction, they were allowed to have advertising on the building itself. And so since then, their building has been permanently under construction, covered in scaffolding and painted once a month with the entire building as a billboard and they've just taken down the scaffolding to start again Uh they have to kind of redo it every now and then and i i uh was looking on the on the on the sidewalk where where it sits nor where it would normally be and there's like maybe four inches worth of like lines of paint so that building (laughs) has actually gotten four inches bigger over the years they've been doing this yeah yeah. they're gonna start again that's that's fascinating it's like the little loopholes that that it's kind of nice it's because depending what color they paint the building, depend what like changes what color my office is each. Oh, morning. that's cool. They had an Evian. Uh, the entire building was pink, and so my whole office was like glowing pink when the sun hit it in the morning. And that's what you're that's what you're doing full time on here, right? You're yeah. you're doing you're focusing on Blasto. Yeah, I. I it's kind of weird actually. I uh, when I when I moved here. I'm here on a I'm here on a, a the O one visa, which is uh, alien with extraordinary abilities. Okay, which is going to be the name of my memoir from one day. Krypton. Yeah, um, <laughs> it means that you're allowed to kind of it's it's a great visa, hard to get, but you're allowed to work in your chosen field without necessarily being linked officially to one employer. Got so it. So if if a job ends, you don't have to leave the country straight away. Um, my plan was to come out here and spend like six months to a year just making a bunch of stuff, putting Blastosaurus on hold for a while once I left New Zealand, and just like figuring out what I wanted to do and figuring out where, like, what, what, you know, what could take off, get to know people, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then on my first day here, I wandered into Golden Apple and uh, talked to Ryan. And, you know, because it's a comic book store. As yeah. Know, oh, we've, oh, we've talked yeah. about Golden Apple right. quite a bit yeah. on the show. Okay. Remember, so I walk in there because my friend Derek has said, if you're in L.A., you got to go to Golden Apple Comics to get your comics. They're yeah. great guys. So I walk in and I say, thank hi, you, Derek. Hi to Ryan. And and he says, I say, oh, um, we have a mutual friend, uh, Derek Robertson. Told oh, me Derek to Robertson. Yeah. yeah, he's great. I love yeah. Derek. And he said, how do you know Derek? And I said, oh, well, actually, I met him at a convention years and years and years ago. And he did a cover for my comic. And Ryan says, oh, you do comics. And I said, yes. He says, do you have any with you that you can show me? I was like, I can show you my Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then five minutes later, we're like out the back of the store having a meeting about all of my books that I've got and what I'm doing in America and all this stuff. And then an hour after that, I get a call from him being like, we, we're, you know, 
we're starting this publishing company. We've got two titles. We weren't really looking for another one, but we'd really like to uh, publish uh, Blastosaurus, all of the New Zealand content. And I said, stupidly, I said, ah, uh, that seems like I'd be really bored by that. How about I make new stuff for you instead? And he said, well, we're going to pay you either way. And I said, great. <laughs> and Ryan's so, good for that. Rather than, rather than getting paid to do nothing, um, I, on my first day, took on a job <laughs> ah! that consumes every minute of my day. <laughs> so I've been here, uh, I think, 10 months now, and I have done nothing but Blastosaurus. <laughs> it's funny how life works. Yeah. It's yeah. not, I can't complain. Like, I get to draw dinosaurs for a living. It's pretty yeah, nice. Yeah, and, and the finished product is pretty great, ladies and gentlemen. If you guys are near, go to your local comic shop. Blastosaurus is available through Diamond. So go to your local shop and ask them to order Blastosaurus. You can also go to goldenapplecomics.com. I'm sure we have plenty of those on, available on the, on the website. I'm sure once we get a few issues under the belt, we'll be putting out a trade of it and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but support Richard. Support uh, Golden Apple Books and stuff. Because this is this is really great, and it's a it's a lovely style. It's really uh, bright and open, uh, expressive faces. Um, let's just put it this way: I don't, I don't want to spoil it so much, but there is a, a there is a dinosaur wearing a dinosaur inside of this. Well, yeah, because yeah. what better disguise? Like, what a when you see someone in one of those like inflatable T Rex suits, yeah, 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 you think, oh, that's a person inside there. Yeah, it's the perfect place for a dinosaur. And to in this case, it's it's Blastosaurus. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty wonderful. It's a very charming book. Uh, so please, please, please go do that. And while you're doing that, go to the interwebs and check out Blastosaurus on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Blastosaurus, spelled exactly how it sounds: B L A S T O S A U R U S. And go to the www. Richard Fairgray. F-A-I-R-G-R-A-Y dot com. Fairgrave. Richard, when I was uh, Googling you just for background stuff, I accidentally put in Fairgrave, and turns out that's the title lead character of a series of like Harlequin romance novels. Yeah, I have and to I was assume like, that's based on Yeah, that. and I was like, Richard is, is, is moonlighting here. He's, he's, he's quite the erotic specimen here. <laughs> so... Uh, so make sure, but check Richard out, and um, hopefully, hopefully you can share this with uh, with some fat pals in New Zealand. And you guys are, if you guys are in New Zealand and hearing this, Golden Apple will ship to New Zealand, so we'll we'll get the stuff to you. I, I know, I know there is a uh, a strong contingent of GI Joe fans in New Zealand because we had uh, an artist from the GI Joe comics as a guest at one of the conventions, and his line was. Bigger than any line I've seen for any other common guest. That's fantastic. Well, the Joes had a big presence in New Zealand, Australia, that part of the world, because the Dreadnoughts were from there. And the Dreadnoughts were the biker were. gang. What is your personal experience with G.I. Joe? Um, literally none. Okay. Uh, I've seen the community episode that, that <laughs> yep. is based on it. So I have like some understanding of... The, the structure of it okay and I, I guess it was a pretty well done episode but i thought i, I don't i don't is gi joe a character or is it well originally it was originally okay. it was a um a, a competitor to barbie back in the 60s he could waste barbie yeah well like, sure i mean but that's just, i just feel surely, like that's right? just misogynistic of you but yes he you know he's got weapons and stuff, oh yeah right? and kung fu grip yeah so he originally was a 12 inch doll like that okay and he had his uh in the 70s they gave him his adventure team which they they branched out and gave him like Barbie had Skipper and Ken, GI Joe had different 
buddies oh, that I went on the adventure with them, right? Yeah. And they would do things like spelunk caves and explore Mayan jungles and all those kinds. Of, they weren't fighting wars. They were just having adventures. They were going into space and things like that. Then in the late 70s, uh, with the oil prices going up and gas, you know, the gas shortage and all that stuff, uh, the cost of plastic got really, really expensive. So they stopped producing the G.I. Joe line, and they were like, all right, how can we revive it? Along came Star Wars with the three and three quarter inch ones. And in the early 80s, they were like, okay, well, let's do G.I. Joe as three and three quarter inch. They contacted Marvel. There's a whole bunch of details there that we're glossing over. And Marvel said, okay, we'll do the story for you. Like, we'll create this background because Hasbro said we have G.I. Joe and Cobra, the bad guys. And that's it. Or actually, I believe, no, I don't think they had Cobra. They just had G.I. Joe. And Marvel said, well, who are the bad guys? And they oh, were so, like, so this we was don't one know. Of these, like, this is a line of toys before the comic. Yes, it was a totally a line of toys. So you just had to make up your own. Yeah. So they went to Marvel, and Marvel yeah, said, well, let's do a comic. You, well, let, well, let's yeah. do a comic, but more than that, you need bad guys here. Yeah. So you should, okay, well, here's a guy, Cobra Commander, and here's Cobra Soldier. Okay, Cobra the Enemy. And then the, with Larry Hama at the helm, they fleshed out that's this the, entire. That's, that's the writer that, of the J.J. Comic Book. That might have been who who had the line in, in New Zealand. Yeah, it, it was. It, was thought, it Larry? He, yeah. yeah, it was Larry. I, I thought I thought he was the artist. Well, he he did pencil um, probably the best J.J. issue ever, and he is a very talented pencil. But okay. primarily, he's the writer. He was. He we yeah we we did a panel together. And oh, it was uh, it was so fun the way that guy was able to like cut down stupid questions from, <laughs> like he that man has like the calmest energy oh he's great and the just um this person got like very kind of aggressive with him in the panel asking him you know because he was he's he's he was in he was in the army and yeah. he's you know done yeah he was in vietnam the, in a vietnam lot of the stories are based on guys that he served with yeah but he he kind of didn't bring he like this guy was like why don't you tell true stories why don't you like tell and he was and he just looked at him he's like because i don't want to because they're mine yeah and it was like this silence yeah that's great that's great yeah he's um he's i had a chance to interview him at WonderCon last year and that was absolutely one of the things that he was talking about that these are his his friends his people his stories mm. he doesn't follow any of these other iterations he never watched the cartoon he never did any of that yeah. because the stories he was telling were about his friends his people mm. you know they were based on his wife his you know etc yeah so yeah but he's, like, he's great there yeah. he he bases the characters on them but he won't tell stories of what happened to him when he was right. you know seeing yeah. action yeah because he's like that's not yeah and i would say to the person asking for that that's that's really not what gi joe is about that's one of the reasons why i love it. it's not about there is the military aspect of it, obviously, but it's really about the interrelations, and that's the reason why uh, why I think I, I know I love it all these years later and why a lot of people still cling to it. It's because the personalities and the way that they interacted, not necessarily, uh, here's D-Day. you know, Here's this mm. D-Day reenactment with yeah. G.I. Joe. It's not about the military action. It's about here's how this character reacted in this situation, and it was amazing and memorable and awesome. You and know? It's, it's such a huge departure from the original gastrointestinal joe doll yeah yeah well there's not as many farts in gi joe as there really were were in the gastrointestinal doll so yeah so then that's what and then that brought us to the early 80s and that's what this show is all about where we watch all the episodes of the uh of the cartoon in sequential order and we comment on it so we're gonna get doing that soon great before we do um you my friend are a comic book creator and listeners if you want to be a comic book creator you need to listen to the 
Dreamer Comics podcast. It's our friend Omar Spahi, and he puts out this podcast that features comic creators every week talking about how they got into the industry, how they were sitting at home trying to realize their dream, and they figured out a way to make it happen, and that's what his podcast is all about. So please go seek out wherever you get your podcast, Dreamer Comics Podcast. It's a wonderful interview show, and he gets everybody. He, he He's a publisher himself, so he knows a ton of people. And while you're on the web, follow me at Joe and Joe Pod, Facebook, Instagram. Send me an email to Joe and Joe Pod at gmail.com. I love to have fans of the show on as guests. We do it Skype. It's super easy. And if you want to go to patreon.com slash Joe and Joe Pod, you can see how you can help support the show. So, Richard, we are going to watch Channel today, which is a bit of a British adventure. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I know New Zealand is on the like the literally the other side of the world, but it's still international. I feel like that yeah. fits. That works. So we're going to watch it. And uh, listeners, get your DVDs ready. Uh, and here we go. One of the things they did, which you wouldn't notice necessarily is different this season, but I really like it, is they do a cold open like like modern sitcoms do. Yeah. But I don't know what kind of, and I don't know, I want to find out what kind of cartoon action was going on. Can, in, can we address like the terrible, terrible establishing shot that just cut to a very slightly different angle? This is oh yeah, this is ugly. Well, you know, listen, but, it's not, it's still, it's still produced on a budget for sure. But they but are straight into the action here. This they is, no, they don't, they don't fool around. But they do a cold open. So we've got this is the first appearance of pleasure is all mine. Cobra Commander's. That's Cobra Commander's new look. He's out of the. Um, it's not his first appearance on the new look, but he's out of the, what do you call the the battle armor. It's Road Pig's first appearance. There is shirtless Road Pig. Um, we've, there's the uh, Baroness. This era. So basically, this is the 1991-ish era of figures. And there's a lot more of a focus on the classics. Major Blood is back. And now we go to the theme song. Typically, cartoons start with this, yeah. right? And then you go into your story. These shows all have cold opens, which is amazing. Okay, I'm I'm still really stuck on the 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 how calm the queen seemed. Also, how young the queen was back when this was done. Well, um, but how calm she was as she still as as they were they were lassoing gazebos and 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 shooting lasers at funny hats, and she just walked on up, asked who was kidnapping. <laughs> Leaving it open for her to say him to say no, it's a queen napping. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, she's a, she's a she's a great straight man, is what she is. Richard. I I really feel like it was it was begging to have her then lie down on the floor and say no, this is a queen napping. <laughs> See, they've already missed it, missed See, a that's, chance. That's actually really good. <laughs> um. I'm proud of the anime. Oh, look, there's Snake Eyes in his new look. That that gets me excited. We also see Storm. And so I love I love this this generation of of figures. I think they're more interesting than the previous season of the DSC stuff. I think everyone's look is absolutely upgraded. Um, a little more cartoonish. Well, there's Big Ben. So he's a British GI Joe member. Okay. So of course, he's going to be very proper. This is a toy that was available. This just as toy toy attic as the as the first season was of the DIC stuff. This one really is. Here's wetsuit. His his name is just wetsuit. Yeah, like yeah. he just he's he's yeah he's he is what he is. <laughs> he is what he is, and that's all that he is. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. Come in, big bear. Come in. And here is big bear too. He's the Russian Joe. He's on loan from the October Guard. Oh, um, this is there is this is like. 
They're it's, introducing... It is a smorgasbord of action figures here. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. They're introducing all these new characters. Cause, and, and here's Duke and Scarlet. Duke's in his new look. Scarlet hasn't been on the show in, in a year. Multiple years, really. That was just a, a very protracted shot of just boobs walking past, though. Yeah, well, you know, Scarlet's a sweet, sweet lady. Okay. This is worse um, than combat. Duke... Also, they're also they're, they're, the voice actors are different from the last time we saw them. Okay. All so right. that's always that's different too. So if you're following along, there's a lot of changes here. But I will say this: Why this, are they standing on the train tracks? That's very dangerous. Come on, uh, you know, Let's save the queen. I mean, you know, nothing's going to happen because the train tracks are well painted. It's true, and as you know from all cartoons. If it's well know. painted, it's not going to move and not yeah. going to come into play. You're absolutely right. I used to think about that all the time when I was a kid. Like, why did they always grab onto the hand-drawn rock? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is, is. It is one of the big tells. Um, it's funny. Road Pig is a dreadnought. Okay. And uh, his, right, his figure great. came with a big iron bar with a, a concrete brick on the end of it. Okay. You know, and, um, and, and as a figure, it doesn't look as rawly naked as it does seeing it drawn on the cartoon. But it's, uh, and you've, you, that's him right there. Yeah, okay. He just looks awkwardly naked. He actually looks like a professional wrestler there. Right. He looks. He looks like, like he's got a little John Cena in him. I think it's always a mistake when they show a shirtless person and they cut them off right at the point where pants would begin. It, yeah, it's like, more suggestive, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like if uh, I have a friend who every time she gets a new passport or a driver's license photo or anything, she always goes in wearing something that's like off the shoulder. Um, that's hilarious. So that, like, And then she, always, she says the key is have your hair down and wear a small necklace because it draws focus to, to the, the nudity. And it really does make it seem like she's naked in the picture. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, it's good to see Major Blood. Good foo-foo. Now sit for daddy. That's just a dog training it's sequence. It's foo-foo, the queen's corgi, you know. Yeah, they, they definitely looked for ways to fill time on these shows, and that is for sure. I want to see, see, Major Blood's arm does not look robotic. There is a long time debate whether Major Blood, the guy in the blue, okay, his original character, he had a basically, the toy had a metal arm. Like it started at the shoulder, like right about here, and, and it was metal. Okay. With a weird, like, octagonal shape and the wrist, right? Yeah. And, and on later iterations of the cartoon, they made it very clear that it was a robotic arm. Okay. But in the early years of the cartoon, of the show, of everything, it was never clear. Like, as a kid, I had no idea that he had a robotic arm. I thought it was just he wore a metal, like, to, in, to like, block from a missile blast or something like that. Okay. Like, it was a protective sheath, right? Yeah. And in this one, this iteration of them, it's totally just a normal arm. It is nothing robotic about that arm. So this further leads to the um, to the confusion, we'll say, of Major Blood's uh, robotic arm debate. I don't the debate like that rages. the Queen has bought into what Cobra Commander said there. She said she just said the Queen napping has gone up in smoke. No, Why? I, you know, don't I, let your bully choose your name, is what I'm saying. Yeah, you think? So? Yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I think I think it shows a level of. Uh, of awareness for her highness that's that's empowering yes it, it's an empowering line if she just said kidnapping still like don't accept his his terms okay fair enough fair enough so and so this is big bear and yeah, that's big ben big ben yes big bear okay. and big ben and there was already a comic character called big ben at this point the man with no time for crime who's that 
Uh, he's a he's a British comic character. He was part of. Uh, oh, he's in Miracle Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah well, he, that's that's a great that's a great catchphrase. The man with no time for crime. I mean, calling a British dude big man it seems like a no brainer. I'm yes. I'm down with that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it wouldn't be the first time that Hasbro ran into some issues with copyrights and stuff. That well, there's multiple characters that they named. One thing, a uh, roadblock, for example, they somehow around this time they lost their copyright to it, so they had to create a new character. Can I? So roadblock does he just cause like traffic issues? Or? Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. He just he just uh, he just parks his car like right in the middle of the of the traffic, <laughs> so cars can't go. And that's his only, and then he just stands on the side and he rhymes about it. That would be um, my X Men power. Yeah, and then in the comics we've recently been talking about, they introduced um, uh, Spirit, who is a Native American Joe, and his name was Charlie Iron Knife. His real, his code, his non code name, but his his figure name was Spirit. But in the comic books, they could never call him Spirit because of the Will Eisner character, right. the Spirit. Yeah. So they always had to refer to him as Spirit Iron Knife or Charlie Iron Knife. They always had to throw the Iron Knife at the end of it. Okay. So so Hasbro's run into a few of those issues over the years. And that takes up a lot more space than a word balloon. It really does. Yeah, it really does. And they didn't use Spirit a whole lot. I mean, he would show up occasionally, and when he would, he'd be used well. So and we're going we're gonna to go to commercial, and we'll be right back. Today's file card features on the Iron Grenadier Demon Drivers, codenamed ferret ferrets are the backbone of destro's armored assault squadrons their battle vehicles called demons are expected to spearhead long-range mechanized attacks to neutralize enemy strong points as well as to capture and hold landing zones for airborne insertions since the design priorities for the demon key on speed range and offensive firepower much was sacrificed in the area of crew protection comfort and safety quote ferrets are chosen and trained based on their doggedly positive attitude this is a vital attribute for them when a squadron of demons attack a formation at full throttle with all weapon systems firing, they are virtually unstoppable. Break up the formation, slow the pace of the attack or counterattack from behind, and infantrymen with handheld rocket launchers can turn the demons into burning hulks. Their motto should be, quote, don't look back. The ferret is brand new to me, ladies and gentlemen. I gotta be honest. I did not get into the Destro Iron Grenadier era. That was right when I left the toy. Seeing these toys, in this case the demon, the dual elevating multi-ordinance neutralizer, and then seeing ferret, this is all new. I love that Destro has his own army and stuff, but this demon looks like just a hodgepodge of throw anything into a tank and see what sticks. It is weird angles, giant strange shaped tracks. There are missiles coming off from every direction, front, sideways, rear, just a monster of a vehicle. And then the driver himself, kind of neat, kind of a snake-like cowl over his head. His color scheme is, it, it matches the Destro Grenadier color scheme, so that's perfect. Regarding his file card, I love the phrase uh, much was sacrificed in the area of crew protection that's funny that's kind of par for the course for most cobra vehicles and i do like that these guys are doggedly relentless they're like the terminator of destro's troops that's pretty cool so count me in as a fan of the ferret i like that you know they've got the fully covered face masks and all that stuff that's kind of par for the course for drivers so i'm on board with the ferret the iron grenadier demon driver we salute you Look at that early CGI. <laughs> that, is, that is quality stuff. Uh, for real though, the animation in this is 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 much better than the previous year, and I and it, trust me on that. It is, and that may be damning with faint praise, but it is better than the previous year. This actually looks 
watchable. What they still haven't done, and I don't think they're ever going to do, is is improve the music quality. The music on the original series was really, really good. Okay. And this, they they went to DSC. They went to this bad synth, and there's a lot of dead moments in the show, and it's just not. Yeah, the pacing not well feels done. terrible in yes. this. Yes. It it feels like I I think this might be a reason why I never watched it as a kid i was like very into ninja turtles well did it did so this fast. did this air on tv when you were yeah it up? definitely did i remember other kids having gi joe toys but it was like this and transformers were two things that just never kind of crossed my path mm-hmm. for some reason what were you into ninja turtles yeah and pretty much nothing else like i was very heavily into ninja turtles new kids on the block <laughs> uh, but only only for uh their their animated series Okay. Um, do, you do know that right now at Golden Apple, we have issue one of the NKOTB comic book. Everything about shelf, that right? makes me sad. Do you, I, you I, sad because you don't have it? No, I, I. Do you want it? No. I'll pull it for you. Every time I, every time I see one of those, like the Saved by the Bell comic or the Clueless comic, yeah, it yeah. always lets me down. Oh, sure. But that's what NKOTB did best. <laughs> let kids, <laughs> let kids around the world down. So I can see that. The, I can absolutely see the turtle influence in mm-hmm. Blastosaurus. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, it's like it's, they share a nose. They, yeah, they, yeah. They, there's, there's. Uh, I'm not even gonna try and pretend like a, <laughs> it's not like that show. Like that. I mean, also the Simpsons. You mm-hmm. know, was a huge influence on me in terms of. But like the turtles was the first thing I'd ever seen where they broke the fo- the fourth wall, and that like blew my mind. Yeah. And rewatching it now, they just do it constantly and annoyingly. She, the queen is so willing to go along with this, and she has such a small amount of security. I she, just well, she's well. I mean, at this point, she's been kidnapped, so that's why queen she's no secu- queen napped. I'm sorry, you're right. I, I mean, didn't, the, didn't say king napped. This is this is a pre 9 11 world, though. Oh, you know, wow, is it? Yeah, like, I mean, this is a this is a pre Bill Clinton world. Back in a day when you could just kidnap a monarch. Yeah. There was a video. So now we're in front of Buckingham Palace, guys, and the Queen has been kidnapped by Cobra Commanders. She's flying her around. Um, Major Blood is disguised as one of the royal guards because the Cobra is about to steal the crown jewels. So that's what's happening on the show. So um, for some re- inexplicable reason, Scarlet and Duke are went grocery shopping before they went to Buckingham Palace. I don't understand what, that move, but they did. There was a video recently online which was amazing. It was a woman. I don't know where she was from. I don't know if she was. She probably was American. I'm assuming, but I, I don't know anything about her. But she crossed the rope at Buckingham and started taking a selfie in front of one of those Buckingham guards. Mm-hmm. That's like legit guards. Yeah. And he's doing his walk, and he does not stop for a second and just knocks her out of the way. Just. Like he's doing, because you know how part of their move is like the left arm kind of kicks out a little bit, like a salute. He hits her with such, throws her around and he never stops and keeps going forward because she wasn't supposed to be there. Get out of the way. It is the greatest video I've seen. I love it. That is. I I, I loved everything about that video. I am so excited to watch that. Stop taking your stupid selfie (laughs) and get back behind the ropes, you moron. I loved everything about it. The British are very polite people, though. They do believe they can stop Americans with a rope. Yeah, well, they're 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 polite, and they're they're, they're also about the the protocol of it, which is what I respect about that. Like, no, you're not supposed to be here. We're going to keep doing our job. You are going to get knocked over. Yeah, yeah. That's wow. how they that's how they took over most of the world at a certain point, and then eventually gave it back. Hang on, we just had a moment. He just literally just 
just stopped to check himself out he, of the mirror. He preened. He, that was beautiful. Oh, Cobra Commander is very vain. Okay. He, he preens, for sure. So the question on this season of J.H.O. is whether or not Cobra Commander is still a snake man. Because he was a snake man last season. He was part snake, part human. He When you saw underneath his um, helmet, okay. you saw like around his eyes, they were not human. These eyes are obviously human. Yeah. So I don't think this is... You think it's a different Cobra Commander? Well, I don't know. I haven't formulated this theory. I don't think it's a different Cobra Commander because he still sounds exactly the same, and it is literally Chris Lada still the yeah, voice actor. There, we we eventually came up with a theory for season one where that was actually a, an alternate dimension compared to the other ones because of some very big changes that happened that no one seemed to care about, like people's hair colors changed. Uh huh. Um, just various. Uh, there were some people alive that were formerly dead. Things like that. So we're like, well, maybe that was an alternate universe. So this might be they another said, alternate universe. They had just said goodbye to structural integrity of the channel at this well, point. Well, that's also true. Yeah. Do you think the people who made the movie Daylight saw this episode were very inspired? I hope so. I hope Stallone was watching this week with his kid. Yeah. His kid, the the one who ruined, although I think he passed away, so we won't say anything poor about him. <laughs> I, I do believe he did. So God bless him. Rest in peace. And I love Stallone. So here's just a shirtless. I would just... I mean, he's now he's sitting down, so he's like it feels like he's like no one can see my junk because I'm yeah. in a. He's machine. still got the Queen's Corgi with him though, which is pretty dynamite. Who has already peed on him once? Yes. So maybe that's why he's wearing no pants. That's awesome. Uh, this era of <laughs> Joes, these are the guys that were used heavily in the um, uh, Atlantis Factor video game. So I don't know if you were much of a video gamer coming up, but they had a uh, that. By the way, that is one of. The available for purchase toys, this little Sky Raider, okay, Sky it, Raider glider, like everything is toyetic on this. Show. Did it fly? Yes. Oh, yeah, cool. It was, it was large. Like it was, it was you know like two hands across. Uh, we're gonna go to commercial with a bullet train about to crash. Scarlet here. GI Joe will be back after these messages. Hey, listeners. I'm not sure if you've heard the news, but Joe and Joe has started a Patreon, and I'm inviting you along for the ride. Go to Patreon.com/slash Joe and Joe Pod and check out my page. Right now, there are two opportunities for you to help support the show. You can choose to be a grunt or a viper. Grunts get access to all the Joe and Joe episodes and early access to new episodes as they're created. Vipers get all that and access to my all-new spinoff podcast, Joe on Joe Illustrated, where I will be breaking down every single issue of the G.I. Joe comic books page by page in the deepest dive you'll ever hear on G.I. Joe. So go to patreon.com slash Pod and see what's happening over at the Fort Wadsworth Motor Pool. We'll see you there. Yeah, so the train's about to crash into the Don't station. We'll I like Wet Suit's look. Uh, you're not familiar with his original one, but it was more of a grayish whatever. This is like black and yellow. Looked like um, looks like Bumblebee from the Teen Titans. So, what were your comics growing up? What were the comics that you read? Oh, I didn't. I didn't see a real comic book till I was 16. Really? Yeah, I thought. Even though that, you were making them. Yeah. Well, the reason I started making them was because I thought they didn't exist anymore. Oh. I'd seen them, like, I knew that Michelangelo read comic books, but that was kind of my only, oh, and Bart Simpson read comic books, but, like, I'd never seen a real one. And then when I was 16, I uh, randomly went out and, like, found a comic store. It took three hours to get to. And then 
on my way back for, and they were closing down the day that I went there like like fresh, like yeah. closing yeah. to we're done yeah wow and I bought uh, I saw they had this huge stack of old Ninja Turtles comics and so I bought like a hundred Ninja Turtles comics for, mm-hmm. for 20 bucks Amazing. and there were just like random ones from throughout the various different incarnations yeah and uh, and then I was walking down the hill back towards the bus stop and I see this sign advertising a convention. And there's like people lining up, so I just wander up carrying this thing of comics, and this and this guy who I'm now friends with, who runs the convention, says, "Oh, you are you working here?" And I said, "Yes," and he let me in for free, and I wandered into a comic convention. And hey, listen, saying yes to random questions that people ask you leads you to so many adventures in life. Yeah, like so many times, someone says, "Do you work here?" Yeah, I do. What can I help you with? And who knows what doors that'll yeah, open? Exactly. And I've multiple multiple instances of that in my life. Yeah. So no, I, I never I never had comics. I just I had TV and whatever I could make myself. Yeah. So it's that time of show, Richard, where uh-huh. I love to ask my guests if you could be a member of the Joe or Cobra team, uh, which side would you choose first of all, and then and then we'll we'll get into what would your specialty be, and finally, what would your name be? Well. I would be on the on on the Joe team. You would be. Okay. I would be. I'd be a, a muckraker within uh, within oh. their team, though, because I don't think they're. I don't think they're doing anything well. I don't think the Cobras are a, a well thought out organization. They're bad guys, which I do identify with more. Um, but they're. I don't. I don't see them succeeding. Are you saying Cobra Commander, who just now wants to be coronated as king? Of, of England, that's not a well-thought-out plan. That's not a forward-linking, like, there's not a lot of legs to that plan. Listen, being the king of England <laughs> doesn't really get you a lot, though. It like really it's, doesn't. It's a, it's, a, it's a title, and you get a bunch of free stuff from it Harrods. It really doesn't. You know, if you endorse some toilet paper, the, the Buckingham Palace will have it without paying, and that's kind of nice, I guess. But it seems like a horrible job, and you have to have very ugly children. Um, I assume that's a prerequisite. So, uh, so you'd be a muckraker on the Joes. I well, I, you know, what? I would want to. I would want to be the guy who helped them be better organized. Okay. And I also, because of the week I've had, I'm thinking a lot about uh, a lot about uh, st- gut health and and what I'm eating. So, I think my name, my I, my specialty would be keeping track of the rest of the team's diets. Oh, okay. Yes. And that's in a direction I wasn't expecting. All in service of having the name uh, Gigi, spelt G-I-G-I. I, for I, I'm not even kidding you. Before you opened your mouth, I was going to say your name should be G-I-G-I. Yeah. It absolutely should. Yeah, because, G period, I period, G period, I period. Yeah, and yes. it stands for whatever. Gastrointestinal G- G-I. No, no, no. No? Glycemic index G-I. Okay, even better. Because I'm keeping track of the order. <laughs> I, I have like I have a notepad. With which unfolds to form a spreadsheet um, <laughs> that shows what you're eating, how fast it's going to go through you, you know. Okay, I love it. Yeah. You're the GIGI. Yeah. Your friends call you Gigi. I am bringing breakfast fiber to the Joe team. That's 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 fantastic. Welcome to the Joe on Joe team, GIGI, or as we like to say, Gigi. Welcome to the Joe on Joe team. Hurry, the Joes are right behind us. Everything's, everything's coming to a head here. The Joes have broken into Buckingham Palace. An idiot who's smarter than you, Commander. They've gotten the drop on Cobra Commander and Major Blood and Baroness. My queen outranks Do they your fight? Duke. Oh. Duke. 
he just had her hiding behind the cur- curtain. Yeah. She's not tied up. She's no, not no, no, in no. Any... She, well, she's very, she's very polite. You'll make a masterful king, Commander. Yeah, I she's mean, the height of, and, and you know that's that woman's name is the Baroness. So she's like half royalty anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, this this all must make sense to me. I love this. The queen just oh. steps on us, digs in with her with her heels. Foo foo. Oh my. Sickum. I think that's the quote for the show. That's foo foo sickum. And there goes Cobra. They're running, running down the halls, and they're gonna just jump off a three-story balcony. Oh nope. Because of a small dog. Yeah, because of, of a vicious, vicious corgi who has been urinating on. Uh, uh, road pig the entire the entire show see this is my issue is that they really don't have they have no backup in place you know mm. so d- i mean their d- backup is usually just retreat that's literally literally cobra commander yells the word retreat and everyone just runs away that's the backup for cobra that's how most of their schemes end what i love about this episode is it's a scheme we haven't had a scheme in a few episodes like this is a legitimate story that the you know that the writer thought out and said here is the scheme cobra's going to try to do and then here's the obstacles and here we're going to get it those are the best gi joe episodes i really like the there was a very uh real demonstration of the difference between the british and the americans there the queen thanked them and then they are and she was very polite with it and then they all spoke over each other <laughs> in response <laughs> the subtle moments yeah i don't like scarlet's characterization of just being a shopping mad female like charge yeah like oh my god i'm just gonna go run spend money that's not scarlet but i'll forgive him on that and that's the episode richard that's gi joe channel i'm i'm not gonna say it's changed my life a lot but it's changed my Not life a, a lot, little. But it's a little bit. That, that's all we need. A little micro, little micro move. That's all. That's Do they all stick Jedi around needs. and fix the channel afterwards? Or they should. Like they should. They should bring in like Tollbooth and a bunch of like Army Corps of Engineer guys to. Yeah. Is Tollbooth one of their members? Well, he was their bridge layer, so I'm assuming oh he's God. certified to help fix the channel. Yeah. Wow. We miss you, Tollbooth. Tollbooth. We made fun of a, of him a lot on this podcast, quite a bit. Because he was just that is that is what we call home by five writing. <laughs> <laughs> so besides Blastosaurus, what are your future plans, man? What can we look forward to from you? Um, I am actually I'm very excited. Uh, well, I'm I'm very sad. I only had one real goal in my career, and that was to one day do a Treehouse of Horror comic for The Simpsons. And they've just announced that Simpsons comics are ending in October. They are? Yeah. And it looks like Bongo is going to be closing down next year. Really? Yeah. Um, I didn't hear that. So there will no longer be a chance for me to do a Treehouse of Horror comic. So the thing I'm most excited to put some time aside for in the next month is my my best friend Theo McDonald and I are going to make a Simpsons Treehouse of Horror comic and just put it online. Yes. I love it. Like, I figure, why Amazing. not? Amazing. I'm, I'm also, I'm taking a month off from doing any comics at all to build a haunted house. That's exciting. Uh, for my wedding. And When's your wedding? Uh, October 6th. So we're having a big Halloween wedding with a haunted house. It's a haunted house for your wedding. When's your wedding? Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. But other than that, I, I, I don't know. I like, I like to do different things all of the time. I need, I, at the moment, like, Blastosaurus is a 32-page book every month 
plus a variant cover plus yeah. and you're doing all those i'm doing you're everything. doing everything on it so you're you're a busy man so, but yeah what i like about you is you, you you've got wonderful energy as and soon as i have really the have time, wonderful energy as soon as i have the time i'm going to start my comic about a, it's a group of five kids protecting their town against an evil tree awesome that's my, awesome. my next goal i love it i love it well uh gg Thank you for being on Joe on Joe. Thank you. And listeners, remember, find Blastosaurus. Go to your local comic shop. Tell them, order me some Blastosaurus. Issue 2 is hitting the stands in September sometime. September 26th, yep. I think. And Issue 1 is already out there. Go to goldenapplecomics.com and get yourself a copy. Richard Fairgray, GG. Thanks again. Thank you. And now you, Joe. And Joeing is half the battle. Joe.